Analytics with Mike Lewis, the podcast where we talk about everything you need to know about sports analytics. Here's your host, Mike Lewis, marketing professor at Emory University. Okay, everyone, welcome to the Fanalytics podcast with Mike Lewis and Doug Battle, brought to you by Emory University's Marketing Analytics Center. Doug, right out of the gate, we did not talk before we were doing this. So let's talk about the Grammys. Oh, wow. I didn't know you were going to go that direction. Well, yeah. you know, I got a lot of content this week, but I don't have an overall structure. So I thought we'd start with something out of our wheelhouse and let it evolve. Nice. I like it. Okay. Let me yeah. tell you, Doug. Let me, let me, let me make my um, old man, uh, I don't know, old man stay off my lawn kind of statement about the Grammys, and then you can reel me back in. But there might actually be a, a point to this. Okay, so Doug, the, the Grammys, historically low ratings, second lowest ever. I think a slight uptick from last year. And I learned about Lil Nas X and <laughs> Doja Cat. Yeah. Okay, the bigger picture in terms of the, the culture and all this is, so, you know, just stay with me, like historically low ratings. But... The, the word that strikes me this week in, in sports and entertainment is fragmentation. Uh -huh. That most of these properties have now moved towards, and this is continuing our conversation about the Oscars, most of these entertainment properties have moved away from being, and I don't even think they've realized they've done it. They, they've moved away from being appealing to a mass audience to being very segment-oriented. And like I said, so I, I learned about Lil Nas X and Doja Cat and I'm going to tell you, you know, you can look at it as, like, like I said, old man can't adjust to the new culture. But really, I mean, this is, you know, you're trying to put on a show for the, the mainstream network TV audience, and this is what you come up with? <laughs> yeah, I don't know, Mike. I, I, think, um, I think that you might not be the target audience for the Grammys at okay, this point. And that's, and that's essentially what I'm looking for. It's like, yeah. if I'm not the target audience, and look, I don't need to be the target audience, but isn't it sort of naive? And then I'll let you sort of do something legitimate about the, the Grammys, your reaction to okay. it. But isn't that the point that we've moved from everyone being the target audience to excluding vast chunks of it? And if you exclude vast chunks, and look, I, I got, frankly, to be honest with you, I came away as sort of a fan of Little Na Lil Nas X because it reminded me of what you used to see with like Liberace and Elton John in the 1970s <laughs> in terms of the, the fashion. So in some ways, you know, nothing's really new, but it did feel a little bit of exclusion. Okay. So now Doug, yeah. your reaction, because you live in that world. Mike, amount. as a privileged person for the first time in his life, feels excluded. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, but can, Doug, can I say, I'm happily excluded, but then don't, don't complain about your ratings. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, like John Batiste uh, winning album of the year, and I know a lot of people who <laughs> don't know who that is. So it's kind of similar to what we were talking about just weeks ago, maybe last week even, uh, with the Oscars and with Coda being a big winner of film that a lot of people hadn't even seen, that seems to be a, a trend here this year in the entertainment world. Um, a lot of new this year, I would say the winners weren't like 
the legacy artists. It was a lot of new artists. Like Doja Cat's relatively new, a relatively new phenomenon. Olivia Rodrigo, I think she brought home three Grammys this year. She just came on the scene this year. I've been familiar with her work because of her her television and acting work for a while. Uh, But to most people, that was not a name that was even known this time a year ago, and now she's a household name largely. And, and again, that might be by demographic, but at least in my uh, demographic. But it's interesting to see, you know, some of the losers in the Grammys: Lady Gaga, Kanye West, like the people who we've we've come to know as the Grammy winners. Justin Bieber, um, although I think he might have, I think he probably got one somewhere in there. But uh, the only real legacy artist I saw win anything was Bruno Mars. Okay, so you know, like I said, as someone that works in that area and has recorded music okay so two questions what demographic are they trying to hit i mean is this strictly an under a generation z demographic um and is it legitimate you know that they've always these award shows have always been almost as much about brand building as they have about talent when you say that a lot of new people won is this an effort to build new brands or is the new stuff in your mind actually better Oh, I don't think it's ever better, objectively. Um, but I, I think it's just telling as to how pop culture works, where it's not necessarily 15 minutes of fame, but it's very difficult to maintain the phenomenon of... And that's why someone like Kanye West, even having so many nominations... and I mean, he won Best Rap Song for a song that isn't even a rap song this year. Um, so uh, someone like that, like to to have that kind of longevity in this world where there's every year there's a new artist bringing home all the grammys a couple years ago billy eilish out of nowhere i remember way back when when it was adele out of nowhere uh this year olivia rodrigo um you know uh, justin bieber's another guy that's kind of established that longevity Uh, i saw jay-z had had a, a nomination as well kendrick lamar so there's a few people i mean just a handful of artists but it's like the doja cats and the olivia rodrigo's um, that come out of nowhere every year. I think that's just like telling to how fast and how quickly our society moves from one person to the next, where it's like, okay, you know, uh, Billie Eilish, she dropped an album this year. Her last album was the biggest thing. Everyone was talking about it. It won every Grammy. This year, it was kind of an afterthought. I mean, she still got a Grammy or two, but it's kind of an afterthought. Same with Kanye West, same with Justin Bieber, same with Jay-Z, same with, but Doja Cat. Even like mentioning Lil Nas X, like he's kind of been that new wave where he's having his his 15 minutes of fame's maybe been two years of fame, um, but things are always changing. Next year, I fully expect you know probably some artists that we aren't familiar with now to bring home three Grammys, the three you know three of the biggest Grammys, much like Olivia Rodrigo did this year. Okay, now Doug, help me out on this. Lil Nas X rose to fame because he did a duet with a country singer. <laughs> well, I, I wouldn't say that's how he rose to fame. He actually rose to fame with a song that became viral on the internet that was silly. It was silly. It was kind of a joke. The first person that showed me the song said, hey, this song is really funny. I think it's hilarious. Listen to it. I said, I think it's ridiculous. And he kept showing everybody. And then it got more ridiculous because it got pretty popular. And they said, what if we put an established country artist to feature in this rap country song that would make it even funnier. And so I think that's where it went from being like an internet meme sensation to like, I think that's how he kind of, that that launched him into being a, more of a household name. So would you characterize the the rise of 
And I, look, I, I think I've, if I haven't said it on the podcast, I've said it to you, right? That I, I tend to think one of the differences between music and a lot of entertainment and sports is that sports has something more real, right? Because you actually have to prove it. There's something objective about it. Whereas yeah. in entertainment and music, you know, the people that determine what goes on the shelf largely determine what's going to be popular. So in this case, Lil Nas X sounds like it was a organic phenomena yep. that then became manufactured into extraordinary success. Yeah, I think people with money probably saw it and said, hey, we've got something that it's a product and people, it, it organically without, you know, much involvement, people are really attaching to it. So what if we invested in it? What if we marketed it to the masses? What if we really poured into this? We could make it, you know, it could be a huge product. And that's what's happened with him. Um, you know, I, I and, and several of the artists I've mentioned, Olivia Rodrigo, her her debut single, uh, Driver's License, became an overnight phenomenon somewhat organically. She was signed to a major label, all the rest. So it's not completely organic, but probably did a lot better than most stuff does organically. And they said, wow, we might have something here. I don't know that they even, and this is the best of my knowledge, I don't know that they had an album recorded. I think that Olivia Rodrigo released a single and she had written a bunch of songs. She's a songwriter, but she was mostly acting, uh, released a single. It really resonated with that TikTok girl generation. Um, and it really resonated. And they had a phenomenon on their hands and they say, hey, this is a money machine. We got to crank out. We got. We need more singles. We need videos. We need an album. And just about overnight, you know, came up with an album that ended up being nominated for best album at the Grammys this year. And several, you know, obviously brought home a couple Grammys um, for for Olivia Rodrigo. And and so I, you know, I think largely that's how it works. And something else you'll notice uh, with music is how often do you see someone rise to success that isn't like beautiful or perfect looking to me it almost seems like they kind of pick people that are very very marketable that can <laughs> carry a tune and then they have other people write songs and produce for those people there's not a lot of artists that are really you know just hey, making it well, purely off of you know artistry. Doug, let me react to this and this is one of those moments where our differences in our generational backgrounds is relevant you know, when I think about music, I, I think I came from an era where it was really a bunch of guys, and it did tend to be a bunch of guys, starting a band and playing in their garage, <laughs> yeah. right? And then somehow getting a little bit of, you know, airtime at a club or a bar and having to build to build that way. Mm -hmm. Whereas it sounds like we've now fully shifted to the key being, you know, someone catches a little bit of fire. And again, there's a little sort of a mystery and you have to wonder how much of, you know, social media is really engineered or driven by the algorithms. They catch some fire on social media and it's almost like the music industry can use that as a filter to identify prospects. Right. And I'm sure you're right that those prospects are going to have a certain look. They're going to have a mm -hmm. certain, they're going to fit, they're going to fit the package that they think they can promote. There's there's certainly an appeal, and I don't want to um, take away from artists like Olivia Rodrigo. I think is insanely talented. Um, but with that said, my general observation has been: uh, Doug, that, are all the um, are all the singers that started as Disney or Nickelodeon show <laughs> actors talented as well? I mean, there's something weird that has happened in music, right? Yeah, 
Yeah, I, I don't know. But I mean, what I will say is my observation is like, I know people who work behind the scenes where it seems like there's this marketable product um, that is the artist and the perception of fans is that, and I'm not going to name any names, but you can think of, you know, these big megastar artists that go on these huge tours and have girls passing out um, when they walk by or when they step on stage. And the the presentation is that this person is the artist, this person's creating the art. Whereas in reality, there's a whole team of people writing songs, producing music, and the person just shows up, they record it, they might help tune their voice, or they might, you know, they, they do things to help them um, become kind of godlike and perfect in their presentation and present it to the world. And, you know, I, I think that um, largely, I think in the pop music industry, a lot of the business is based around these very, very marketable brands, these very marketable people rather that, that become brands. Um, and the rest is built around that. There are exceptions. Like I have a friend who's signed to a major label, had absolutely no following on social media. He simply made some music, showed it to some people and they said, wow, this is incredible. We think you have a lot of potential as a musician and they invested some money in them. Um, those artists to me, I tend to like those artists because I like, to me, I relate with the lyrics and I'm thinking, wow, it's, it's cool to hear this person pouring out their heart. Whereas like when I know too much about like a, a big pop artist and their big hit song and people are saying, oh, d is he singing this to his ex-girlfriend? Is, is he singing this? Actually, no, no. The guy that wrote the song wrote it to his grandmother. He's singing about another man's grandmother. Like it's, it's to me, that's not authentic. Um, but I, I see it all the time. I think country music, uh, even it's funny, but Christian music, a lot of, a lot of the bands that, that present these big mega songs that are played at every church and, and get famous and make a lot of money off of it. The song is actually written by, some smaller little church band that doesn't have the brand power, the marketing ability of a Chris Tomlin or Hillsong or something of that nature. Interesting stuff. And yeah, it is. So uh, I mean, it, it all goes back to branding and marketing, which is kind of your world. That's why I'm, I'm kind of bringing it back to that. But watching the Grammys and seeing who's nominated, who's winning, it, it is interesting to me how many new brands are rising so quickly, uh, just kind of out of nowhere. And, and these, it almost seems like the Grammys have become like the awards for this year's phenomenon. Like you, I mentioned Billie Eilish, you mentioned Lil Nas X. He took home some a few years back. Um, and, and this year, I think Olivia Rodrigo and uh, even Doja Cat kind of being the new faces. More often than not, it, it is the new faces. It's probably something we should spend a little bit more time on, you know, to supplement the the sports because I do think it's 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 an interesting and it's you know you can get some insights into thinking about fandom and stardom and celebrity brands arise mm -hmm. in different parts of entertainment. Well, and the other thing is, every now and then there's the perfect mixture of perfectly marketable and perfect talent, and I think in sports the obvious example is Michael Jordan. I think in music that happens from time to time. And when it happens, it is a huge moneymaker for a long time. And I think of like Beyonce, a perfectly talented musician, dancer, absolutely beautiful. Um, it is the perfect person to, to build this kind of phenomena around. And, and that only happens every so often. There's only a handful of artists that that really are that LeBron, that generational talent, if you will, the LeBron James, the, there's a, there's a number one pick every year in the NBA, but not every year is that player necessarily a, a NBA hall of famer. And I think the same goes with music, but every now and then there's this generational talent. And I think right now, I think people are thinking like Olivia Rodrigo might, 
She might be the next Taylor Swift. Like I she might do, be around. And I don't, I don't even know if you realize how many times you've said her name, but yeah. it's definitely she's a. Uh, well, she won. She yeah. won three Grammys. I mean, t- she was kind of the story of the Grammys. So that's that's why I keep bringing her up in the story of music this year in the mainstream, at least. Okay, Doug, talking about generational talent. Like I said, I got a bunch of topics and not the not a clear organizational structure. When you talk about generational talent and a huge celebrity, Tiger Woods is playing in the Masters. This is. Golf's biggest stage, and it's—I mean, it—I don't know if Tiger's the most iconic golfer of all time. I'm sure he's in the top two or three. You know, I'm not old enough to remember Jack Nicklaus's heyday, but Tiger Woods taking part in the Masters is—I I think really kind of a special sporting event for. And again, kind of the, maybe the key theme for today's episode is fragmentation. The mm-hmm. Masters. Frankly, is the Masters golf tournament relevant to anyone that cared about the Grammys? <laughs> right? You're and, right. Yeah, it's it's a different, very different. And I'm not sure that it does. Um, I, and I don't know. I, we've never talked about golf. Are you a golfer? I'm not, Mike. I am. Uh, I am famously bad at golf when I've tried to golf because I did not grow up golfing. Okay, I'm not a. You know, I'm not a huge. I'm not a huge golfer. I don't I don't personally golf. It's an interesting sport for me to look at. You know, Tiger announcing that he's going to play obviously is going to incredibly juice the ratings. I mean, the, the Masters, you know, you grew up in the South, so you know the the lore, the allure of the Masters of in some ways I think people think of it as the most perfect the most perfect golf course. It's sort of the most classic golf tournament. It's something mm-hmm. people in the South absolutely love. Attendance at it is is huge in this in this Atlanta metro area. It, it's also kind of an interesting marketing phenomenon. Like I, I did an interview with a reporter a couple weeks back. I forget the it might, maybe it was in Forbes, but he was um, asking me about the Masters sponsorships, and the Masters sponsorships include things like Mercedes, uh, IBM. If you look at and you know you just sort of raise your hand when you do want to jump in since golf not, might not be your main thing, Doug. But if you look at the Masters website, there is almost nothing related to sponsorship on it. It's the exact opposite of you know current sports wisdom, where you know soccer players now have you know brand names across their chest, right? Mm-hmm. There's advertising on just about every part of the stadium. There's a small little IBM logo in the corner of the masters in the on the masters webpage it is the it's like a throwback uh in in terms of how the sponsorships and how the marketing is done like the level of it's not in your face marketing one one bit no it's not it almost seems like <laughs> golf is such an expensive sport that all golf has to market is golf you know what i mean like they're, they're marketing the golf brands the the golf clubs the the golf courses the go- I don't know it just seems like they don't need to market IBM or some separate entity but, but Doug let me ask the, ask you this if you're Mercedes Benz yeah where do you what sponsorship do you really want to do and again this theme of looking fragmentation at the cust- right yeah looking at the customers or, or I guess the demographic with golf it, w- it would be pretty tempting I guess no I mean it, it it's it's sort of perfect right i mean you you can almost imagine and again this this kind of general theme that i think was 
really kind of accelerated during COVID, but this splintering of all these properties from mass audiences to segments, the masters, and it's always going to be kind of interesting to me, the masters will inevitably, there'll be some discussion about, you know, Tiger's great for the game, brings in the mass audience. The core of that is such a special, um, and again, talking more from a marketing perspective, such a special audience. I don't know that there's a better place to market uh, to market Mercedes-Benz and some of these high-end products. Now, again, this might be a little, <laughs> a little, little, you know, maybe this isn't, again, your sort of cup of tea, but the other big news from the Masters was that Phil Mickelson is not going to play. Now, just out of curiosity, do you know why he's not going to play? And it's totally I don't. fine if you don't. I don't know. So Phil made some comments or comments came out that, um, and, and again, it's, it's, it's an interesting story in and of itself, but it kind of speaks to some larger themes going on in the world of sports. Uh-huh. So Phil has been associated with a Saudi Arabian-based effort to create a competitor to the PGA Tour. Interesting. So, you know, do you remember that, um, that proposed soccer super league from yeah. a year or mm-hmm. two ago? I or, do. I remember that. Or even like the notion that, you know, maybe there'd be a special conference where you would just take the top of the SEC and a couple of the Big Ten teams. You mean my proposal for college football? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but that, that you would, they would create, you know, eight or nine tour events with just massive dollars and steal the, the, top, uh, the top talent from the PGA. But and let me find the let me find the quote because it was really spectacular. Uh, so what Phil said, and it was reported by, um, and it was reported by a, an author of a sort of a tell-all book about Phil Mickelson, talking about the Saudis. So he's working with the Saudis. Their scary MFers to get involved with. He said, "We know they killed Khashoggi, the Washington Post reporter, and have a horrible record on human rights." They execute people over there for being gay. Knowing all of this, why would I even consider it? And then there's a plot twist in the middle of his quote. So, you, you know, your reaction is perfect, right? Okay, he's, uh, he's going hardcore. Because this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to reshape how the PGA Tour operates. They've been able oh, to man. get by with manipulative, coercive, strong-arm tactics because we, the players, had no recourse. And so... <laughs> In the middle of going off on the Saudis, Phil then sort of jumped into the, but he's going to work with them because it'll allow them to put pressure on the PGA to pay so the So he's players. critical of, of their human rights issues, but it's he's leverage. willing to do it because it can help millionaires make more money? You got it. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, what's up with... Uh, What's up with rich, famous people feeling like victims when it comes to being paid? I, I know it's, that- so it's it's sort of a it's and like one of I the said, great injustices of our world. The the injustices that the Saudis have partaken in that's one thing, but the injustices against PGA golfers that's that's worth fighting for. And and you know he he was dropped by basically all of his sponsors. <laughs> I wonder why. And, and so it, it's. But it's it's a fascinating thing to see play out now. So he stepped away from the Masters, probably with the hope that you know if he keeps a low profile, some of the heat will, you know, sort of fade away, and he can get back in at a later day. But it's it brings up kind of a fascinating thing about modern day sports, right? And and look, we just had this with the Olympics, where the Olympics had about an audience of ten million people in the U.S., but 
uh, you know, the reports from China where they had 500 million people watching in China. We've got the FIFA World Cup coming up in the fall, which is going to be in Qatar, which has been, you know, they've been hammering, you know, FIFA's decision to do it in Qatar and, again, some of the human rights uh, abuses in, in that part of the world. And so I think this is, uh, this is an important story because it points to kind of two really tough conflicting trends where there's a lot more eyeballs, there's a lot more consumers outside the U.S., but current U.S. social justice and human rights standards mm. and views of the rest of the world make it very difficult to, you know, for people to accept these properties moving to these different to these different countries of China, Russia, uh, the Middle East. Yeah, it's interesting. I think that's where the NBA has been under fire because they've catered so much to their their international uh, uh, consumers. I'll use that term because I'm thinking in business terms. Well, you're, here. you're Doug, you're you're dead on, right? So the NBA sees this idea that they want to become the global basketball brand like FIFA is in soccer. To do that, they need those 600 million Chinese basketball fans right. versus the I mean, how many again, this this key phrase of fragmentation, how many people in the US are actually fans of the NBA? It might mm -hmm. be less than 50 million at this point. So yeah, 500 million versus 50 million. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think going back to the Grammys, just to kind of tie a common thread here uh, across everything is that the segmentation of of fans uh it's very difficult to have a mass a product for the for the mass market at this point i think like the only thing i can think of that just about everybody watches is the super bowl or that's what it feels like but i don't even know if everyone's watching that at this point i think you're right that is the that is essentially the last man standing in that <laughs> It used to be. It used to feel like though, like the Grammys were something that was for the mass, the Olympics. The Doesn't it feel like there used to be a half dozen or a dozen of those things? Right, right. The World Series, the Super Bowl, the Oscars, the Grammys, the Olympics. Right. I don't. I think the Oscars is making a comeback. I think if I think if the Oscars promises that someone will get slapped in the face yeah, every year. Okay, I'm going to call be, it right now. Jake and Logan Paul are hosting the 2023 that would Oscars. Be great. That would be great. That would be, that would be fantastic. Also, <laughs> since you mentioned them, I, I, why don't we put Chris Rock and Will Smith in the ring? That would get some good ratings. That would be a global appeal right there. Mass appeal. Well, I think, and maybe I'm wrong, but I, you know, the day after that went down, there was sort of this running debate, and I heard from people while he was standing up for his <laughs> wife and blah, blah, blah. I think... I think society settled on my point of view, which was Chris Rock was going to be the big winner out of all that, and uh, Will Smith was kind of the big loser. I I don't see anyone really defending Will Smith anymore. The, this, the strangest defense are now the ones where, well, I'm not even going to go down that path, but there's some strange defenses of Will Smith, but I don't, you know, he, what he's lost, he lost Bad Boys 4. <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> Oh man, um, yeah. So let's see. NBA news. Can I go there? Sure. LeBron and the Lakers eliminated from the playoffs. Eliminated from. There's 17 games under 500. Eliminated from uh, even the play-in, right? Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, eliminated from the play-in. So, and to make matters worse, I think the Lakers were down about 20 last night, and LeBron left the arena with. with at that point, technically, the play-in was still within play. Uh, he left the cap- arena before the game was over. Yeah, I mean, he's not playing; he's hurt. Yeah, but, but still. Yeah, but that that's where it's coming back to the whole like Jordan would never, Kobe would never. You know, we're hearing that same argument. So he. It doesn't seem like LeBron does himself a lot of favors in that argument with his no. behavior. Not not saying that he's this Dennis Rodman guy with horrible behavior all the time, but just little things like this. Where it's like, come on, man! Like if if you're really fighting for that that status, you can't walk out on your team when they're losing with the playoffs on the line. Well, I you know I, look, I've always thought this about LeBron that the thing that he's missing. And maybe it was a conscious decision on his part that he didn't feel he doesn't feel the need to be likable to people. Yeah, maybe so. That's I mean, that's very different than Michael Jordan. Not that he felt the need, but just that he flat out was likable, it yeah. seems. But yeah, I mean it, to me that's always been the biggest separation, right? Mm-hmm. That Jordan seemed like he was and, and again, that that documentary was perfect. It was brilliant. It was like the most amazing thing for someone of my generation to see who had saw you know, Michael Jordan playing and remembered like his love of the game clause and, you know, that giant smile. And Mm -hmm. then it turns out that he was a complete psycho on the floor. (laughs) I mean, that situation where he made up the story about the rookie telling him, nice (laughs) job, kid. I love it. In a way, it's like it it would, it put the cherry on the top. It was like, oh, this story gets even better. I mean, this this guy's yeah. got a, a level of craziness that makes it even more intense and kind of He's like probably le- he's probably the amazing thing about LeBron and Michael Jordan. I feel like most people I'm not speaking I'm not saying everybody, but I'm saying like over 50% of sports fans take pleasure in LeBron failing. And I would yeah. say also over 50% of sports fans took took pleasure in Jordan achieving greatness. They wanted to see him win a sixth one. They wanted to see him keep winning championships. People are still mad that he couldn't win a seventh one because of Jerry Krause. So uh, between those two, the amazing thing is, I actually think LeBron is a more likable personality when you actually see what he's like around people than Michael Jordan and how he behaves with his teammates and stuff. Uh, LeBron as a father has has demonstrated some good qualities and he's got these good qualities, but it's like what he puts on display for the public makes him seem like more of a diva than he might even be. I think he just doesn't care. And he's, he's been criticized for so long and he almost like rebels against that by just adding fuel to the fire. Well, I mean, and my pushback on that is you can't essentially live your life as a brand and wanting to be a billion dollar brand and then have disdain for big chunks of the population. I mean, it's, yeah, it, 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 and it's it, look. It's obviously not hurting him very much. Well, yeah, you know, I mean, obviously he's got all the money in the world and all the success, but he's, you know, if like you never know what people are really driven by. If he's driven by comparisons to Michael Jordan to be the greatest of all time, the difference in likability will always keep Jordan ahead. I mean, it's, Let me- that might not be fair, but I think it's reality. Yeah, let me ask this. In LeBron's defense, and also in our theme of these segmented audiences, would Michael Jordan in this day and age, would he be universally loved? No, or would, because, and you know that classic quote about Republicans buy sneakers, he wouldn't do that now. 
Right. He wouldn't he, do that, but if he would he, be pushed, he would be pushed away from that. It seems like if he did nothing, if he if he wasn't an activist, he would be criticized for not right. being an activist. If he was an activist, he'd be criticized by the other side for whatever he's and that's, being an activist for. That's, that's the, LeBron. That's, that's an LeBron. insightful. That's an insightful point, right? Because yeah. you you can't be politically neutral anymore. That is not all. Being politically neutral is now viewed as taking sides. So Jordan could not have existed as this kind of happy-go-lucky Nike McDonald spokesperson. Mm-hmm. He would have gotten, um, he would have taken heat for being a Nike spokesperson, right? I mean, he takes it, he takes it now from the recently retired Enos Cantor Freedom. Yeah, uh, involuntarily so, retired, I guess. So, Mike, what do you think um, for McDonald's, like for these brands, as a marketing mind? What do you think this segmentation and, and division of the public as a whole and the fact that nobody can agree to like the same person, uh, what, what kind of effect does that have? I mean, if okay. you're McDonald's, do you but not Doug, do a deal with LeBron? But Doug, I but, think there are some. And that's so some of the marketing decisions you p- see people making are, call them, you know, whatever you want to call them, fascinating, maybe strange. Like the Subway ads that feature, okay, I'm going to tell you, if you're hiring a spokesman, I'm going to make it real easy. Hire Barkley and Shaq. Yeah. Everyone likes Barkley and Shaq. <laughs> That's true. You know, TNT. don't hire. And if you want to branch out, Steph Curry, Tom Brady, you can find folks that still kind of hit that sweet spot for you. I was at, when you said Subway, I was just thinking of Jared Fogle and, okay, uh, yeah. <laughs> and that whole scandal. So. But, but you, know, you know who you don't hire? You don't LeBron. hire Megan Rapino. And even though I love him, you don't hire Aaron Rodgers. Well, what about LeBron? I mean, LeBron's the biggest name in sports, but half the people hate him. If you're McDonald's, do you do you do business with LeBron? God, I, I hate to say it because you know a lot of times, a lot of times, you know, the, the say hire you know hire the guy that you know people want to pay attention to that people are fascinated by. I just come and again, admit this is not fair, but I think since we're in the realm of fandom, I'm going to step away from being the marketing analyst for a second and just being the fan reacting. I find him sour, right? Okay. And so you put his face on a product, and I take that kind of this guy's kind of sour and unhappy and angry at the world, and that those associations get layered onto the product. Versus right. in the case of Jordan, it was like. This guy's the most spectacular athlete in the world. He's got the brightest smile in the world. He seems like he's having a great time. You know, it's like the Be Like Mike was really kind of an aspirational campaign. And even though I think Be Like Mike might have been Gatorade, Mm -hmm. that essentially message was true for everything he did, whether it was McDonald's or uh, Nike or uh, Ballpark Franks or Hanes Underwear, et cetera, et cetera. So. Yeah, I I don't I'll, look. I'll give you one, and this is going to sound kind of kind of nuts. It, yeah, go ahead. I would take I would take Reggie Miller as my spokesperson over just based on what he's done with Wendy's over LeBron James across the board because he just makes people happy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's just fascinating to me that arguably the most valuable athlete of all time is that might not be technically true but it seems like lebron is the biggest thing ever though in in sports and i mean he he's definitely had more longevity than any athlete as this huge brand 
is maybe not that valuable. It almost feels like having LeBron market your company would be the equivalent of having Donald Trump market your company in the sense that he's divisive. Half the people are going to be religious about it and half the people are going to cancel you. They're going to consume your your rival's product because they don't they don't want to be associated with that. Well, Doug, let me let me let me add It's one not that thing. drastic, but it's almost Let me add, let me add one thing to that. I think the key is that he may be as divisive as Donald Trump, but he's divisive in the right way, right? Okay. He's divisive on the right side of where the media is going to come down. Yeah, that's that's which makes it still possible for him to, you know, be an effective spokesman because he is, you know, he is his values are aligned with what the media environment's values are. Right. Okay. So, Doug, not to not to cut this off, but I want to make sure we get to kind of our uh, look to to you and me both. The best tournament in and look, we can sort of relate this to the Lakers. The Lakers are out of title contention and so they're going to be in the does that mean they're automatically in this in the uh draft lottery yeah okay so they could potentially be drafting well, i say that they may have traded away their pick i don't know but they've made so many trades in the lebron era GM, as they call them they may have traded away their pick so i'll have to check on but that if they had it and i, I make this point because i don't think it would excite lebron they could potentially be drafting the Seven foot freshman center out of Gonzaga, Chet Holmgren, I believe his name is. <laughs> or they could trade it for an aging superstar. And- yeah. It, which brings us to, like we're saying, the greatest tournament in sports. Mm. And I think this tournament truly delivered. It had yep. it had a great run from the dean Saint of Pete. NCAA coaches. It had a What's the name of the the kid you that you sent me that he entered the transfer Doug, portal? Doug Eddert. Okay, the mustache kid. Mustache Doug. Yeah. He he represented Doug's all over the world so well. I felt represented. Oh, he did. Uh, I love that guy. I want him to transfer to Georgia. And now the 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 finals game had an uh, an epic comeback. This tournament worked as well as the NCAA tournament has worked in a long, long time. The thing that I think it misses, right? It misses the star power because folks don't stick around. The, the top talent doesn't stick around that much. The ratings were up across across the board. I don't know that they're particularly strong historically, but over the last sort of the, in the recent era, tournaments a mm-hmm. smashing success. I think so. I think I think the only criticism you could really have of this tournament or most NCAA tournaments is. Because it's not a series format, because it's single elimination, the best team doesn't always win. Um, I don't know that Kansas and UNC are the best two teams. I do think, I actually am personally of the opinion that Kansas was the best team in the country by the end of the season. But there's got to be another number one seed that just played one bad game that feels like, hey, we probably, you know, if we'd played a seven-game series against whoever we lost, against UNC, uh, we would have beaten them. And we would have had a shot in a seven-game series against Kansas. So I think, and like as a Illinois fan, I feel like you could probably relate with that. Where it's like the the single elimination format can be detrimental to your team if you pull for a team that's favored. Like if you pull for a team that should be winning, it's not as fun. But if you pull for St. Pete's um, or even this year UNC, who was an eight seed, like they should have been out in the first or second round uh, statistically. It's a lot of fun. 
Well, yeah. I mean, if you're pulling for a team that progresses, I can't relate to that as an Illini <laughs> fan. I mean, well, you know what I mean, though. Yeah, I mean, no, I do. You can be like I remember Duke the year that uh, that Zion Williamson and R.J. Barrett they had a loaded team that year. They swept Virginia in the regular season. Um, they're on other sides of the bracket. Duke plays one bad game and loses. UVA could have lost easily in the second round. Went on a tear of a run where they they had fortunate bounces, calls, shots made. You name it. The last three or four rounds of the tournament. They win the whole thing that year. I think if you're a Duke fan, you feel like, okay, this isn't a good tournament because the best team isn't winning the championship. We're clearly the best team. Whereas if you're a Virginia fan, you feel like, man, this is the greatest thing ever. Even we have a chance to win it Win it all. That's awesome. What do you think it means for the health of college basketball going forward? I mean, I'll, I'll tell you one of the things I like about it. And like, I'm an Illini guy. So in a way, I kind of hate what I'm about to say. You know, because as a Big Ten guy, you always kind of got sick of Dick Vitale's endless love for Duke and Mm -hmm. uh, especially Duke versus North Carolina. But, you know, Bill Self with his second title, sort of the new dean of college coaches. It's at a pure blue blood program. Uh, Two new, two basically new coaches at Duke and UNC next year. I mean, a second year coach and a first year coach. Mm Mm-hmm. And 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 again, maybe in a couple of up and comers still trying to break through the Baylors and the Gonzagas, trying to get to that truly elite status. I've been pessimistic about college basketball, but they've got some nice pieces in place for storytelling. Now that being mm-hmm. said, I don't know what the ratings are like during the regular season. I suspect they are really relatively poor for college basketball, and almost all the watching is getting done during the during the tournament right now yeah i think so i think uh it's hard not to be segmented when it's college sports like it's once if you're pulling for your university and they're eliminated your interest dies down immediately you have far less interest in watching the remainder of the tournament um i feel like the nfl is almost a you know we always talk about the nfl as like the one league that withstands Mm -hmm. everything uh, everything uh nobody's that i don't want to i don't want to take away from like the diehard like grew up buffalo bills grew up washington football team whatever they're called now um those fans that grew up and there are those fans but i don't think you don't have that same tie that you have to a university where you spent four years of your life there and it feels like a part of who you are in your life story. It's yeah. not a part of your life story as much with the NFL, but I actually think that's advantageous. You're, you're officially, I mean, you're affiliated, right? You yeah. are a Georgia bulldog. I am an Illini. That's yeah. But like with the NFL, like I'm a giants fan. I grew up, I used to cry yeah. when they would lose games as a kid. Like I was a huge fan and, but now it's like, they're out. It's not like when Georgia's out in football, like I have very little interest in watching Alabama play against Clemson in football. Um, when it's, the Buccaneers against the Green Bay Packers or against Buffalo in the Super Bowl, I you know, in a theoretical Super Bowl, I'm locked in. Like, I'm there mm-hmm. because it's not all over to me. I'm still, it's like I have, my team is this team, but I also like the general sport. And generally, like, I'm a kind of a, just a fan of the game. I think NBA fans can be that way. Um, college sports, you don't see that as much. And I think that's why ratings even in like these tournaments probably suffer as the tournament goes on you get closer to a championship and 
I'm less likely to tune in. You know, I suspect you're a little off there in terms of the NBA. I don't okay. think. I mean, it's. I suspect it's much more mixed there with with the okay. NBA that there there are some NBA fans, and and that probably comes from the NBA kind of really affiliating itself with you know certain aspects of the culture, right? I mean, the NBA is the most culturally relevant league in terms of touching other entertainment properties. Mm -hmm. So I suspect there is some of that, but I also think that, you know, the NBA is sort of in between maybe baseball and football where baseball is a local fan base. The NBA is a national fan base, but the thing that I, and I don't know this for sure, that a lot of the NBA national fandom is based on the players. Well, it is. And the fact that the the players move, right? Yeah. Well, that's why I think that, that's why I likened it to the NFL. It's the sense of like, my, like I might Portland, the Portland Trailblazers might be my team, but I also like Luka Doncic. I also like Jason Tatum. I also like, like, I like all these different players. And so my team's eliminated. I'm still interested. NFL, like Giants aren't even in the playoffs. I'm still locked in because I'm interested in Aaron Rodgers. I'm interested in Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Tom Brady. Um, college basketball. There's not that player branding because they're only there for a year if they're brandable. No, <laughs> and, I mean, it's, it's like we're flipping around looking for the St. Peter's, right? We're yeah. looking for that. that thing like, oh, that through. could be interesting. So, Well, um, let, me ask you, let me ask you more of a, a theoretical question then. And I would ask this question if we were in this discussion in class. How much of your attention to the NFL and sort of being willing to root for you know, it, it doesn't matter if it's the, the Lions versus the Chiefs in the Super Bowl to some right. It's like, you know, there's going to be a compelling story. How yeah. much of that is just because the NFL has, you know, it's like a chicken and an egg argument. The NFL is the dominant thing. You and I both get hyped up for the, you know, I think both you and I would watch the combine for an hour on ESPN if we <laughs> happen yeah. to be by a TV. We get hyped yeah. up for the draft. We, yeah, it's, Oh, it's yeah, and I think like what you're getting at with the chicken and the egg thing is like the NFL. Whoever wins the Super Bowl is gonna be a legend and somebody that is worth having watched. With college basketball, like I think most people that watch the national championship probably couldn't name three players on Kansas's team. I don't know if they could name one player. And so, whereas with the football, it's like. Eli Manning was a joke and then he wins the Super Bowl and Eli Manning's a legend because he won the Super Bowl. And it's like where legends are made. And basketball, it still just feels like, all right, now they're going to the NBA um, where they have a chance to become a legend. I think you're dead on. I don't think, and and that has always been my concern with college basketball. And and look, we, we've talked a lot about NIL the last couple of years. Part of me really wonders if NIL is going to be that big of an issue in in basketball. I mean, it, it seemed like that would have been the natural mm. one yeah. that it would have been like, well, you're just going to, you're going to get these million dollar Nike shoe deals for the guy coming in for a year. But I'm not seeing that. I, I, I you know, Zion was an anomaly. Perhaps he was the last guy like that. Yeah. He and, was and the I'm last. sure there'll I think be another one, but Anthony Davis at one point with Kentucky, I mean, every, there's a generational player, and it's truly generational. Every generation has like one player that's like that. You know, every f- five to ten years, there's one player. LeBron would have been that guy, obviously, that could have gotten the Nike deal in college. But this year, like you look at UNC's team, they're a really good basketball team. They've got a lot of really good players. Was there anyone on that team that would get like the 
the big, you know, lifetime shoe contract with Nike. I don't know of any player on that team that I feel like, oh, they're a hundred percent surefire NBA star. Same with Kansas. I I agreed a hundred percent. I mean, I was looking at the mock draft today and you know, just as you're saying, can the general public name a lot of the guys that played? Can the general sports fan name a lot of the guys that are gonna be drafted drafted in the top five or the top ten? And if they can't, then if people can't name these folks, then the marketing dollars aren't gonna to flow to those folks. Yeah. So, you know, maybe NIL, strangely, because it's not where I thought it was going to go, NIL really just ends up gravitating towards positions, right? The Georgia or the, the Alabama quarterback is a yeah. $1.5 million a year job. And it goes to female athletes with great social media brands. They're killing it. Right. They're, it's kind of awesome. It could evolve yeah. to that kind of. Yeah, I, I will say with like college basketball, I think there could be team wide because UNC is like an Air Jordan brand team, and there, there could be kind of deals between Jordan and yeah. and any player that signs with a Jordan team. Um, my concern with NIL is like you look at St. Peter's, uh, mid major teams. If they have a run in the tournament, if they have a, a player that even Stephen Curry back at Davidson, he could have transferred to UNC. He could have transferred to UNC. He could have brought in all this marketing money or Duke or, or wherever he wanted to go um, instead of like that would have killed a, a, a team like Davidson. And, and so like St. Peter's losing their big star from the tournament. Not that I think he's, he's this like generational basketball player or anything, but seeing that as a precedent, it's like anybody that stands out on a smaller team come tournament time can just go to a Kansas, can go to UNC and Duke and, and more of a system of the rich getting richer and these players being incentivized to do what's in their best interest. I don't blame the kid. I would go to, you know, I would be transferring. I don't know where he's going. He might go to Seton Hall where, where their coach is going. But um, if I were in that, if I were Steph Curry, I would have left Davidson in a heartbeat after that big tournament run because he came back to college the next year uh, at, at Davidson. But he, in this day and age, he could go to Duke or UNC, make a million dollars, get drafted even higher. Well, and the, the, maybe the challenge for college basketball, sort of free marketing advice to college basketball, is you got to figure out a way to, you know, if the star power is only created during the tournament and the tournament happens the last three weeks of the season, then that star power can't be translated to NIL dollars. Mm -hmm. And if you're going to turn college basketball around, you've got to figure out a way to create that NIL environment where the star power exists. Now, I think, you know, where I do think NIL might kick in, and again, sort of kind of home team bias here, you know, Kofi Cockburn at Illinois, mm -hmm. the player that ends up being this long-term kind of college All-American, but perhaps does not have a professional future, you know, is that a guy that can make half a million dollars in Urbana-Champagne, which ends up being competitive with what they can make playing in Turkey or Italy? Or the yeah. G League, right? So it's it's evolving. I mean, we we sort of we talked about it. It was going to evolve in strange ways. It's kind of beautiful to start to see it come to fruition. Yeah, and I I'm a big proponent of college basketball teams benefiting the most, not from the one and done players, but from the four year great college basketball player, but not quite tall enough or not quite you know lacking some tangible to get into the NBA. And that's where I see. That's what concerns me, though, is like like you take a team like St. Peter's and anybody can pluck away those guys with NIL money. 
yeah. and, whoever they want from that team because they might have five or six guys that that have heart that are great you know team guys that are obviously good enough to get it done in the tournament and that are marketable now like Doug Eddard because he has this history and and now he has these NIL deals with Buffalo Wild Wings for example um I don't know how those players stay at a St. Peter's moving what's, forward. What's kind of great about this or kind of terrible about this, right? Maybe you can pluck them away from St. Peter's for a $50,000 NIL bill yeah. for almost nothing. Yeah. But, you know, worth, why, worth it for the kid to, to make the move. I mean, I don't even think the NIL, I think just the transfer portal alone, you could get, you could get a whole team to transfer. Yeah, well, I think we have that. Yeah, you, called LSU this year and Georgia, get a, Georgia get last a, year. You get a scholarship. You show your stuff at a smaller school, and you earn a scholarship to Duke. Okay, Doug, we've gone on a winding path from the Grammys to Augusta National, well, the Masters golf cart. I don't want to get it wrong. Uh, <laughs> the, the Masters to the NBA and college basketball. We're at. Uh, we're coming near the end. Anything else you want to throw out there? with the NBA. LeBron's out of the picture, so I feel like any year LeBron's out of the picture, the NBA is less of a storyline yeah. um, in, in the mass market. And it's it's like, is it NFL draft time? Is it is that what we're going to be hearing about on ESPN for the next several weeks? I hope so, uh, Doug, because as soon as the NFL draft is done, then I'm going to put out our my annual, or some, mostly annual, NFL fan base rankings just as the, you know, the, <laughs> the media attention clears a little bit. So I'm looking forward to that. Awesome. The only other thing, I'll, I'll throw this out there. It's just kind of an interesting number. The Women's National Championship game ratings were up 30% from 2019. And again, nice. I, don't, I don't have much to... What'd you say? Why? I said nice. <laughs> nice, yeah. The, the pandemic has been an interesting thing where a lot of men's sports took some hit, hits. I think they've almost all largely recovered. But the women's games, women's basketball, the WNBA. And yeah, I was going to say, wasn't WNBA the only professional yeah, league to see an increase? But, you know, the uh, Women's uh, Softball World Series on ESPN, uh -huh. the WNBA, now here appears the Women's NCAA Tournament. Those you, have all you, shown surprising strength coming out of the pandemic. So do you have issue a to watch out for as we go forward. Do you have a theory? On, on I, I don't even have a theory. That's why I saved it to the end. <laughs> All right. Okay, everyone. So thanks for listening and more content at www.fandomanalytics.com.